When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for building happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you might want to cultivate a shrine and also suggest some questions to figure out how to set up habits that will work for you. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who lives in New York City, and I'm talking with my sister. I'm Elizabeth Kraft, and when I am not busy following Gretchen's advice, I am a TV writer and producer in Los Angeles. Now, Elizabeth, before we get started, I heard some very exciting information, which is that we have listeners in 192 countries. Botswana, Uzbekistan, Luxembourg. Isn't that amazing? Wow. That's very cool. That's awesome. Thank you, everyone. International listeners, be sure to like contact us, weigh in. We'd love to hear from you because that's very exciting to hear that you're listening. And we have heard from other listeners who've written to tell us about their experience with the one-minute rule. And the one-minute rule is something that we talked about in the very first episode, which is this idea that if something can be done in less than a minute, you should do it without delay. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people just in my own life have come up to me and said, I'm doing the one minute rule. I'm doing the one minute rule. Like, oh, I just put the dishes in the dishwasher because of the one minute rule. It's really, you know, hitting home with people. I think it's it just gets rid of that scum on the surface of life. Like it's, it's all those little things that aren't they're not taxing on their own, but when they pile up, they can feel kind of overwhelming. So try the one minute rule. It does seem to be something that's really hitting home with people. This week, our try this at home tip is to cultivate a shrine. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite habits uh, that I talk about in my book, Happier at Home. I love the idea of cultivating a shrine. What does that even mean? cultivate a shrine? So for me, a shrine is a place in your home of super engagement. So it's a place dedicated to something 
important to you? Because, you know, it's funny when you talk about possessions and happiness, a lot of people are sort of like possessions don't matter. Get rid of everything. Stuff's not important. But for most people, I think possessions really do play an important role in a happy life. They serve as important reminders of the people and places and activities that you love, and they allow you to project your identity into your environment. And so when you cultivate a shrine, it's like you pick something that's really important to you, whether that's cooking or tools or France or whatever, and you dedicate a place in your apartment or your house to it and like mindfully arrange all your stuff there. And so when you're there, it's like everything is the reminder of that thing that is important to you. Yeah. So what's your, do you have a shrine? I have two shrines and I have tons of family photographs arranged. So I think that's like such a common shrine. It doesn't even feel unusual, which is just like the shrine to family. That's all your family photos. Right. But one of them is I have a shrine to children's literature, which I love. So I cleared off bookcases in one area and put all my children's literature books there. My old issues of Cricket Magazine. Do you remember when we got Cricket? Yes. Oh, my God. I didn't know you had those. Yes, I made off with those. (laughs) Your back was turned. They're all at my house. Mm -hmm. And my Gryffindor banner that somebody brought me from the Harry Potter theme park. So all all my memorabilia of children's literature and all my works of children's literature are there. And so when I'm there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just love children's literature because I am a children's literature freak. I'm in three children's literature reading groups. And then I have my Shrine to Smells, which is where I keep all my perfume. Some of which are very traditional perfumes and some like weird smells that aren't really quite perfumes. I don't know what they are, but they're just smells because I love smell and that they're all nicely arranged on a shelf. I put them, I put some of them on a silver tray because everything looks better arranged on a silver tray. That is true. How about you? What do you have some shrines? I mean, I don't think I have any shrines the way you have shrines. I think the only true shrine I have might be a mug shrine. <laughs> but you're so into mugs. I love my mugs, and I, we and luckily Adam also loves mugs, so he doesn't think I'm nuts. But yeah, we have a big cabinet stuffed with mugs, and everyone's always shocked by how many mugs we have. But each one tells a story. Like each one's important. Absolutely. I can't, yeah, I can't get rid of any of them because I'll go through each one and I will have a reason why I must keep it in the cabinet. And I'm always shocked, like you don't have very many mugs. Whenever I'm at your place, I feel like there's a dearth of mugs. (laughs) But, um, and I always give people mugs also. You give me, you gave me my favorite mug. It says happiness has a bluebird on it mug. That's my favorite. It's like the perfect size and shape. So you have contributed to my happy, my mug happiness. But you know what? I think you have a bad shrine. Maybe. I was noticing. Well, I was noticing I was in your place last time that there's this bookcase that you and Adam have where it's all your stuff from your TV shows that you've worked on. So it's like the DVD collection, the flask that has the like logo, maybe some scripts. Like it's all there together, which sounds like a good shrine, but I get the sense that you guys, it's not like a shrine of like ha- of memories. It's more like this is the place where you've decided that that junk goes. And so right. it's almost just like open storage, not really like a shrine of precious memorabilia. But maybe I'm misreading that. I mean, maybe you don't need to open the DVD set if you've like wrote the show yourself. It's like, I don't need to watch that stuff. I, I was there when it came out. Well, that is true. Yeah, yeah. but I don't that know. That is true. So what's your experience of that area? of your house i know what you mean it's sort of like it's it's more like a um yeah a junkyard of show (laughs) memorabilia as opposed to a collection which is what you want it to be and you get so much of that stuff 
for, as a TV writer, it's like they give you like the jackets. I mean, dad has like five jackets of your t- TV shows. and I have a scarf yes. and yeah. We do care about that stuff. I can't imagine getting rid of it because it's almost like evidence of a time, you know, of, yeah. of a certain time in your life. Yes. But yes. I think what we should do is probably pick the things that we like or that are just fun and kitschy and really do make a shrine like in our office on one of the shelves as opposed to just sort of piled up junk in the library which is what it is right now yeah because i think that's the key to a shrine it's like mindfully arranging the things that are actually meaningful it's not just like oh i'm going to throw everything it's like like like, i'm just not going to make it as big as i can it's that everything is full of a memory or it's like exciting in some way and so it makes that like an exciting part of your of your home but it has to be kind of curated Right. And it's a conversation starter, I guess, when you have guests yes. as well. Okay. So we're going to post photos. I'm going to post a photo of my Shrine to Children's Literature and my Shrine to Smells. And Elizabeth, I want you to post a picture of your mug collection. Okay. So <laughs> yes. And, and we'll do that on my site. Um, and if you want to post your own, go to the Facebook page where you can post your own photographs because we would love to see your shrines. But yeah. I'm dying to hear what people's shrines are. I know a guy, he's Basically, his whole apartment was a shrine to wine. Like, wow. you walked in there, and it was like every single thing was just about wine. Uh, and so you were like, this is a guy who's really into wine. And that's what he wanted to convey, you know? Well, of course, I'm thinking about, um, like, fresh, you know, uh, guys in college and their their beer camp pyramids. I guess I never realized they were just having a shrine to beer. So, yes. I, you know... I should have been more respectful of that. Yes, right? We didn't take it seriously. So let us know about your shrines. Uh, post pictures. Let us know how it works for you. Tweet us, Facebook us, email us, uh, uh, or just post a comment on my site, GretchenRuba.com. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Gretchen, now we're going to have a segment that's sort of a combo of Know Yourself Better and our new Better Than Before segment. It's sort of a Know Yourself segment on crack. The reason for that is because the whole we we want to get into some of your habit strategies that you lay out in better than before and one of the main ones is know yourself better yes absolutely yeah because what i found when i was studying habits is that one of the reasons that people don't succeed with habits which you know a lot of times there's challenges it's because people haven't set up the habit in a way that works for them and so in order to figure out the right way to set up your habits so that you give yourself the best opportunity to succeed you really do have to know yourself you really have to think about well what's true for me versus what's true for other people and one of the things that i've really found to be true is we're a lot like other people 
But the differences are very important. And so there's, you know, I lay out 21 strategies that people use to make or break habits. And this is called the strategy of distinctions because it's really thinking through how might I think about how I would go about doing something in a way that's different from the way somebody else would go about doing it? Not that I'm right and they're wrong or vice versa, but just we're different. And so if we're going to shape our habits in a way that's suitable, we need to think about it in a different way so that we know what's true for us. Yeah. And this goes with a lot of what we've been talking about. If you know yourself better or the people around you better, then you can make adjustments accordingly. Right, right, right. And we've talked about some of these already. Like, are you an abundance lover or a simplicity lover? We talked about that. That's helpful for habits. But so here's one that really comes up a lot with habits. Are you a lark or an owl? Are you a morning person or a night person? Some people are kind of in between, but then there really are larks and owls. And this is a place where you and I are distinct from each other because I'm a lark and you're an owl. Yes, I'm definitely an owl. And my whole uh, little nuclear family here in L.A. are owls. And I think and mom, I think, has finally accepted it because last time we were home, we were there was talk of going over to the museum to see the new sculpture garden in the like at like 8 a.m. And mom <laughs> just said, you know, I don't see that happening with this group. And we just dropped it. Um, and it was, you know, we didn't do it. And that's fine. But I will also say that when you go from Los Angeles to Kansas City, the time change works against you. And so you that's look like true. you're even later sleepers than you naturally would be. Whereas when we come from New York, we look like these super early risers because for us, um, but you are, you, you definitely are now. Now, here's an interesting thing. When they look at happiness, people who are owls tend to be a little bit less happy. And they think the reason for that is because the whole world is set up for larks. Because it's ah. like, you're an owl, but and so is so is your family, but school starts at the same time and work starts, but you do work in a profession that starts later. And here, there's a really fascinating book called Internal Time by Till Ronenberg, where if you're somebody who's wants to learn more about your chronotype. That's what it's called. I really recommend that book because it's very interesting. I used to think that an owl could become a lark if they just went to bed earlier. No, that, that, that's not the case. If you want to learn about your chronotype, that's a great book. How about the distinction uh, between familiarity lover and novelty lover? Yeah, this is a really good one to know about yourself. So I'm a familiarity lover, and I like doing things that are very familiar and repetitive. And then, But novelty lovers, that drives them crazy. And you could see how this could become helpful in habits because, like, I like to go – like, I go to the strength training gym. I do exactly the same thing every time in the same way. At the, you know, it's exactly the same. And I like that. I find that – helpful. But you could, but somebody else who's a novelty lover might want to join one of those gigantic gyms where there's a million classes and all the latest fads. And it's like, I'll do this and I'll do that. So they have the habit of consistent exercise. So in that way, they're sticking to their habit. But by introducing a lot of novelty, they keep themselves engaged. That would drive me crazy. I would not want to do a different class every month. But for some people, that would make them much more likely to go. So how about you? What do you th I'm definitely a familiarity lover. What are you? I think I go back and forth. I probably tend to be fam a familiarity lover, but I think I'm a little bit more of a novelty lover than you are. But I, I don't feel like I fall firmly into either category. Well, one thing I know is like I've noticed that I like to eat very few foods all the time, and you like much more variety in your diet, which is more typical. Most people like to eat 
right. variety of food. Most people don't um, eat the same thing yeah. every day for 20 years, although some do. Which I would if I could. Okay, and so here's another one. When you're starting something, do you prefer to start by taking small steps or big steps? Because a lot of times you hear this advice like, oh, start small, keep it manageable, that's the way. You know, And, and that really is does make sense for a lot of people. You know, you keep it concrete, you keep it manageable, you know, make incremental change and that the habit will form more easily. But then there's the kind of person where it's easier to make a huge change. Like otherwise they kind of lose interest, they lose momentum, and they're going to be much more engaged if they're trying to make a major transformation or a big change rather than making a lot of small steps. I'm definitely major transformation at once person. I don't like small steps. I find small steps to be intimidating and overwhelming. Like, oh, so many steps. I'd rather just dive in. Oh, that's interesting. So you find it more intimidating to start small than to start big. Yeah, because it feels like, oh, God, I'm going to be climbing this mountain forever. Oh, that's interesting. Instead of thinking like, oh, look, I've put one foot in front of another foot and like, look at it. So see, it's just a way, it's a, it's a different way. I've always thought about my college roommate. Her motto was do everything all at once. That's great. And I've always loved that. I think that's a great motto. So again, this is the, the thing about the four tendencies and the strategy of distinctions, these two strategies, is that it's all about knowing yourself better because when you know yourself, then you can shape your habits in a way that suits you instead of just trying to use some kind of magic one-size-fits-all solution, you know, because just because somebody else had a good success getting up early to go for a run, well, like, that's not going to work for you, Elizabeth, because you're a night person. Right. One way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question or comment uh, for me and Elizabeth at 774-277-9336 or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. Gretch, our listener question today is from Hillary in Texas. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. My question regards sticking to your habits. I have a tendency to get started and I'll go through a week and then kind of fall off. Recently, I've been able to keep all of my positive changes going for about a month, but I've fallen again off of the bandwagon. So what would be some suggestions to keep going on on my goals and and staying on them instead of falling on and, and off all the time? Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. Well, Gretch, this, I know you have a ton of strategies for how to stick with your habit. Like I can, I can just list some of the monitoring, scheduling. <laughs> yes. Uh, but there's one that I really like because I think it's sort of conceptual and it's, you say, don't set an end goal for yourself. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, so a lot of times when people are trying to form a habit, they set some kind of goal. Like they're like, oh, I want to get in the habit of exercise, so I'm going to train for the marathon. Or, oh, I'm going to give up sugar for Lent. But what happens is that you reach your goal, and instead of making you more excited to stick to your habit, it makes you feel like you're finished. Right. Then your habit stops. And so I think it's really important to think about milestones, but not finish lines because you don't want to reach a goal and then feel like, oh, you've stopped. You Now everything can go back to normal. You want to feel like you've got to keep going with that habit because just about everything with habits, we want to do them indefinitely, not just do them for you know a limited amount of time. Yeah. I'm definitely that person where if I hit a certain number on the scale, I'm like, oh, great. Now the diet's over. And then it yeah. just starts <laughs> the whole process over again. 
obviously be much better just to say, oh, I'm leading this lifestyle that I want to lead. Yes. No, but I think that's one of the reasons that diets so often fail. Dieting is like is this incredibly popular activity. I think one out of five adults in 2012 was on a diet. But most dieters, most successful dieters gain that weight back. And I think you're exactly right. It's like you reach your goal weight and then you're like, oh, I can go back to eating normally. But so here's another thing she might think about. Well, you mentioned monitoring, which is just keeping track of what you're doing. That works really well. Uh, scheduling, which is just set aside a time, actually put it in your calendar for the thing you want to do. But a really good strategy is the strategy of safeguards. And that's when you really sit down and think like, well, what are the stumbling blocks here? Like you really, it's it may sound kind of fatalistic, but really plan for failure and just say, mm. what's going to happen when I go to that cocktail party? What's going to happen when somebody has a birthday at work? What's going to happen when I go on vacation? What's going to happen when I get sick? And really try to plan for it. Because if you plan for it when you're kind of in a calm, thoughtful mood, then when something arises, then you kind of know what you expect yourself to do. You're not making a decision right in the heat of the moment. You've got a game plan. That's a great idea. It's important also, you know, if she's noticing a pattern like of when she fades out, it's like, what's going on there? Like, maybe it's moral licensing, which is the loophole that you give yourself when you think, oh, well, I've been so good doing this. I deserve a break. Well, the thing about your habits is really you want to do them indefinitely. You, you, don't, you don't give yourself a break from brushing your teeth or wearing your seatbelt. They're just behaviors. They're habits that you expect yourself to follow consistently. And so if you're falling off, it might be because you're thinking like, well, I've been so good. I could take a break. And then the break extends, extends, extends. Or you start thinking like, oh, well... You know, it doesn't matter what I do today because tomorrow I'm going to be so good, you know, and then tomorrow is always a day away. So if you really think about what's going on, why are you fading out? What's kind of interfering? Then you can use that strategy of safeguards to help you uh, keep going with those good habits. All right. Well, Hillary, let us know if these tips help you maintain your good habits. I hope they do. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Elizabeth, this week it's my sad duty to go first and offer up my demerit for the week. And this, I think you will recognize this demerit, which is... Hostess neurosis. Ah, uh, yes, it afflicts our family. It afflicts our family. I think we inherited it from our mother, who definitely experiences hostess neurosis, which is when you kind of lose your mind and become incredibly nagging and irritable and bossy uh, around some kind of hostess situation. I am extremely susceptible to hostess neurosis, I must confess, which my husband Jamie has learned and he like scuttles out of my way uh, <laughs> as much as he can before any any kind of social thing. And I am trying to actually though 
keep in mind that my uh, the fact that I suffer from hostess neurosis because my older daughter has a birthday coming up. And for some reason, I find children's birthday parties to be enormously draining and like stressful in advance. And it, it, it's always been fine. I've never had a bad experience. I don't know why, but in kind of in prospect, I'm always just like in a dither. And, um, and so I hope that by really reminding myself, okay, this is hostess neurosis. This is what I experienced. This is why it does not add to the pleasure and the fun of the event because it doesn't make anybody happier if I'm running around, you know, snapping, snapping. and yelling. Yeah, a lot, a lot of snapping, a lot of like, you know, why wouldn't you get up at 7 a.m. and pick up the cake anyway? You know, like uh, wanting everything <laughs> to be done on my timeline. That's a big thing. Like, just do it my way, um, exactly the way I say on my, you know, everything's got to happen at the crack of dawn. I'm trying to remind myself that I could behave in a different way. And, 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 and to remember that the whole point of it is to have fun. And if I'm, I've been at birthday parties where I was basically like, you know, I almost was like yelling at some six-year-old because she wasn't stringing the Fruit Loops on the licorice string in the right way because I'm like, I want everything to be going so well. You know, I want everything right. to like move along exactly right. And, but it's like, that doesn't make for a good party. You know, like, first of all, my children won't appreciate, you know, the, the birthday girl isn't going to appreciate it. And it's just, it's like, why get stressed out? Like, what's the big deal? And I just kind of, which is good. My husband stays very calm. And so that sometimes just makes me all the more annoyed. I must say that he's perfectly calm. <laughs> um, but it, but it's good. But I'm trying to tap into that to be like, hey, you know what? Like, we'll prepare everything we need to get prepared. And then, like, we'll just let events unfold. And um, try not to let the hostess neurosis overtake me. I will report back. Yeah, because... next week I want to know. Next week I want to know what happened <laughs> yeah. and how yeah. you, how you, what others would say about your hostess. It, well, because I've got to say I've made that vow before and have not always successfully lived up to it, and so I hope that I will do better this time. Okay, so take us to a higher place. Okay, well, this week I have a gold star, and one of my close friends from high school, Suzanne, is dealing with breast cancer which involves chemo and surgery and all, you know, and, and eventually radiation and all of that. And the gold star goes to her husband, Jeff, and this website called Caring Bridge that allows a family member or a friend to post uh, updates for whoever is interested can go and, you know, join Caring Bridge and get uh, alerted as to whenever there's an update about the person who's who's dealing with whatever it is they're dealing with. And it's this great thing because, you know, when someone you care about is going through something like that, you really want to be in touch with them. You want to know exactly what's going on. Yeah. But like, you don't want to bother them. You're like, oh my God, they're going through so much dealing with all these treatments and still working and kids. And you don't want to be, you know, nagging them with emails. But it's, it's such a fine line. Like, how do you... You want to stay in the loop and express your concern, but you also don't want to be the horrible email they have to answer. Yeah, and know? the other nice thing here is you can leave comments. So every every time that, in this case, Jeff you know, writes a comment, this is what Suzanne's dealing with, and here's a picture of the kids, and et cetera, you can leave a comment and just say, hey, thinking about you, you know, hang in there, sending best wishes and all of that. And I, and I know from what they've said that they really like getting those comments and feeling like they're sort of surrounded by community. Um, and it's an easy way to do that. So big gold star for that. And I'm happy to report Suzanne is, you know, she's doing, she's doing great. And a big gold star to Jeff for keeping everybody informed. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Cultivate a shrine. 
Let us know if you tried it, if it worked for you. Uh, post pictures on Facebook if you want to show us what your shrine looks like. Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky, and also thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. Let us know what you think of the show. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply.